Um, love and power are going to be the two kind of defining words of this prayer that Paul prays for the Ephesians believers and, and that he prays for us. And he's giving us a pattern for how we can pray for other people and for ourselves. And you think about love and power, those are probably the themes of the greatest books, movies, songs. All our great stories kind of hinge on these ideas of love and power. Uh, the, you know, the, the, the love of power has taken humanity to the brink of destruction over and over and over again. And somehow the power of love has brought us back from that brink of destruction over and over and over again. We see in the Garden of Eden the love of power, the sense of, uh, God, I don't want you telling me what to do. I know what's best for me. I know what I want. I know what I need, and I'm going to do it. And since then, our human love of power has caused us to do harmful things to ourselves and to others and, and to control um, try to control ourselves and control each other and dominate. The love of power has, um, has wrought destruction in our world and our personal lives. But somehow the power of love, the power of love most fully demonstrated by the gospel of Jesus Christ, this, this, this act of God coming to us and as one of us and going to the cross for us and, 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 and taking the burden of our sin upon his own shoulders and, and then over coming death through his resurrection, the power of love um, has overcome the love of power. I, I know there's a movie that, uh, and, and a book that I've never mentioned to y'all before, but there's a story called The Lord of the Rings. Um, and the whole, kind of the whole idea here is there's this ring. I know it's been a while since we've talked about it. And, and it's this ring of power. And, 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 and kind of the, the, the central crux of the movie is this, how the love of power corrupts. And then in the end, spoiler alert, uh, the power of love is what overcomes. And, and so the question as we talk about love and power, power and love this morning, a question we want to ask is, what is the foundation of my life? Um, I've, um, I, I wouldn't really consider myself a handyman or anything like that, but I've lived in, in a few houses. We've worked on every house we've been in and, and had the opportunity to buy and sell several times. And, and one thing I've learned is that if you take a house that has a, a shoddy foundation, you can put any kind of exterior on it, you can cover up that, uh, that shoddy foundation with whatever facade you want, but eventually that foundation is going to shift and, and, and there's going to be cracks in that facade. And there's a lot of things that we try to build our lives on, and then we try to cover our lives with a veneer, but eventually the storms of life will reveal what our life is based on, what our life is built on. My, my grandpa, uh, Papa is what I call him. You can just call him Matt's grandpa. But um, he, he loved to buy and sell. I don't know. He loved to buy and sell stuff. And, and, uh, and, and he could take a, he'd buy a car and, and, then, and then drive it a while and sell it for, for, for more than he gave for it. He'd buy houses and sell houses. It's just in his blood. He just loved a deal. And he, he would always give me little nuggets of information, like how to talk to a banker. You know, he's not doing you a favor, you're doing him a favor. And he'd say, you know, Matt, you're, you, you don't make money when you sell, you make money when you buy. And I'm like, you know, I'm five years old, why are you telling me this stuff? But it's been helpful information. And, and one of the things he always said was, I'll never buy a car if it's sitting on a flat tire. 
I'll never buy a car if it's got a flat on it. Why? You know, any car can have a flat tire. You know, he said, now, if there's a problem there at the ground level, there's going to be problems all the way up. And, and that's uh, kind of an interesting and, and probably pretty smart idea. Now, I'm not telling you don't buy a car if it's got a flat, but that's just what he did, okay? And, and, but this idea is that if there's something flawed in the foundation, the flawed foundation is going to be carried all the way up. And Paul, as he prays this prayer, he really is inviting us to think and consider what is the foundation of my life. We're not talking about the veneer we put on the outside. We're talking about what is the foundation of my life. And, and our idea today is that we cultivate healthy soil. We cultivate healthy soil as our lives are marked by a growing awareness of God's presence, love, and power. Healthy soil, this whole theme we're in, this whole series we're in this year, and an emphasis on prayer is that how to cultivate healthy soil, and we cultivate healthy soil in our lives as our lives are marked by a growing awareness of God's presence, love, and power. You think about what does sweet water need? We might say sweet water needs a, a billion dollar grant, or sweet water needs um, a, a, you know, a better road, or, or, or newer buildings, or whatever. But the gospel would say that what Sweetwater needs more than anything else is people who have a growing awareness of God's presence, love, and power. And so Paul prays for the Ephesians believers that that they would be marked by this growing awareness of God's presence, of God's love, and God's power. He prays that from prison, from really tough circumstances, because he believes that's the most important thing. What Ephesus needed was believers who, had, who were marked by this growing awareness of God's presence and God's love and God's power. Again, Paul is writing this letter from prison. and He's not wasting any ink. He's writing this letter from prison. He doesn't know if he's going to be in prison forever. He doesn't know if he's going to be released. He doesn't know from what he might be executed. And so what he's writing and the prayers that he records are things that are so close to his heart. These are things that, like if you're in prison and you don't know if you're going to live or die, the things you're going to write to your loved ones are going to be the things that are close to your heart and things that matter to you the most. And he pray, he writes and records this prayer to the Ephesians, and the heart of this prayer is that they would have their lives built on a foundation of God's love. So let's read the prayer beginning in verse 14, Ephesians three fourteen. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend, to grasp with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. All right? And so the first thing we'll notice about Paul's prayer, maybe is there in verse 14, he says, for this reason. So when we see a phrase like that, for this reason, we want to ask, well, for what reason? All right? And and if we go back to to chapter 3, verse 1, he starts the prayer back in verse 1. Chapter 3, verse 1, for this reason, I, Paul, he's about to pray, and then he says, i got to preach a little, a little while before I, before I pray. So he goes off on like this 13-verse uh, tangent, which isn't a tangent. It's helpful and important teaching about what it means to be the church. And then he comes back and he picks up his prayer in verse 14. But it's for this reason in verse 14. really takes us back to the for this reason in chapter 3, verse 1. And so we need to look at what's before chapter 3, verse 1 to see what the first for this reason was about. And so the latter half of chapter 2 of Ephesians is all about what difference does the gospel make? 
And what he tells us in chapter 2 is that we're saved by grace. Chapter 2, verse 8 through 10, we're saved by grace, uh, through faith, not by works, lest any of us are boast. And then he tells us that God has done something in Christ. He's taken down the wall that divided uh, humanity from God. He's taken down the wall that divided humanity from one another. He broke down the wall of hatred between uh, Jew and Gentile. He broke down the wall of hatred between humanity and God. Jesus did that. And he made this one new humanity, this one new family, bought by the blood of Jesus. And for this reason... In light of the gospel, Paul's going to pray this prayer. So for this reason, for what reason? Because God has done something in Christ. God has done something in the gospel. He has made one family united to God and united to one another through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so he picks up that train of thought because of the gospel. So that tells us that Paul's prayers are shaped by the gospel. For this reason, because of the gospel, I bow my knees before the Father. Now, now Paul's not telling us you always got to bow your knee when you pray. The, the normal Jewish way to pray would have been pray, to pray standing up. But probably the reason Paul is saying this is like, he's like, normally I pray standing up, but this is so central, this is so important, I'm so consistent and, and fervent when I pray this. Man, I get down on my hands and knees and I just humble myself out to God. This is what I'm begging God for. You think about it, what was the last time you begged God for something? It's probably like, God, get me out of this thing that I got myself into, right? That's usually when I beg God. I know I did something stupid, God, but if you will just. But for Paul, what he's begging, what he's pleading, is that these Ephesian believers would know God more. This gives us a great clue on how we pray for other people effectively and a great clue on how we can pray for ourselves. He's not just zeroed in on their circumstances, although those matter. He's saying, God, I want these people to be, to be marked by this growing awareness of you. I want them to know you. I want them to know your love and your power and to be filled with your fullness. And we, we know, one of the things we can notice and observe uh, in, the, in the beginning about this prayer, right before we dig in too deep in it, is he says in verse 14, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father. From whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, all, um, all family gets its name from this Father. According to the riches of his glory, riches of his glory, God's got all you need. There's not a scarce supply. God's not holding out on you. He may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So we see right there in those couple of verses, Paul engages Father, Son, and spirit in prayer. Now we know that God is God. There's one God, um, but God is, is, is co-eternal and co, uh, from all eternity has been Father, Son, and Spirit. And Paul engages the Father. He said, I, I call out to the Father and it's after his name that we're called. I cry out to the Spirit. The Spirit would just fill you with energy and power. And I cry out to the Son, the Son of God may make his home in your heart. And when Paul prays for others, he prays a Trinitarian prayer. He engages Father, Son, and Spirit. And then, and then over the, the next few verses of this prayer, Paul's going to give us four words. Four words that we can pray for other people. Four words we can pray for ourselves. And so we may be saying, man, I don't... I'm praying like zero words. I'm not praying for anybody at all because I ain't praying. Well, Paul's going to give us four words you can pray. And if you don't know who to pray for, and you're like, man, I don't know, just, you know how when you're doing like, um, like a, a CPR class, um, 
and you bring out a dummy, you know, if you don't know who to pray for, just pray for me. I'll be your dummy in more ways than one, all right? And pray these four words for me. Pray these four words for yourself. Pray these four words for your spouse, these four words for your children, these four words for your boss who you don't think knows anything. You pray these four words for that one person that you're focusing on that they might come to know Jesus. And, and pray these four words from Scripture, and I believe you will see something begin to happen over time. Four key words. The first word is power. Can you say power? Power. Can you say it a little more powerfully? Power? Power. power. All right, he says in verse in verse 16, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. He prays that the Ephesians would be strengthened by God's power in their inner person. And then he makes a parallel statement that goes along with that. He says that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. You see how those two, the, those two statements kind of correspond to each other? Strengthened in your inner man with power, Christ dwelling in your heart through faith. If the Spirit's there, Jesus is there. If Jesus is there, there's a Spirit there. And, and, and strengthening your inner being, Christ dwelling there by faith. These are complementary, parallel type of statements, all right? And so strengthened with power, that word for power is dunamis, where we get our word dynamite. And Paul's praying that these Ephesian believers would have this explosion of Holy Spirit power in their lives. He prays for supernatural strengthening. Now, we've got an interesting uh, relationship with power as human beings because, again, when we think about power, we usually think about the love of power. We think about the power to control. But God's power is love in relationship. That's what God's power looks like. God's power is shaped by the cross and resurrection of Jesus. Imagine that you lived in, in a rural area in the early days of electricity, and people come along and say, hey, we're stretching some electric wire through here. Would you like to be on the grid? And you say, man, there's no way this electric thing's going to last. This is a fad. No way people are going to be relying on electricity. I'm just going to do it the old-fashioned way. And so you say, no, I don't want to be on the grid. A few years later, all your neighbors have lights at night. They've got a television in there. And, and they're powering like washing machines and hot water heaters and all these things, and they've got power to accomplish things that you cannot begin to accomplish in your own human strength. And the, the, the issue isn't that there's not enough power. The issue isn't that the power doesn't exist. The issue is you're not connected to the power source. And Paul's idea here is that he's praying for the Ephesians that they would be connected to the source, that they would know and that they would receive strengthening from the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. So what does it mean to be strengthened with power? What's that look like? He's talking about, again, the power that raised Jesus from the dead, that we would know that, that we would be strengthened from that. He's talking about the power to honor Jesus. God wants to give you the power to honor Jesus no matter what your, what your circumstances are. You can honor Jesus if you got the coronavirus or if you don't got the coronavirus. You can honor Jesus if you're employed or unemployed. You can honor Jesus if you're sick or well. You can honor Jesus if you're married or single. You can honor Jesus if you're young or old. You can honor Jesus if you're skinny or fat. Uh, you can honor Jesus in any kind of way, in whatever kind of circumstance you are in, and the Holy Spirit gives you the power to honor Jesus. Jesus gives you the power to glorify Jesus in your body. The Holy Spirit will give you, and, and, and what Paul's praying for here, too, is the power to resist temptation. You know, this morning, I wasn't going to eat a donut here. When you're laughing, I don't know why you're laughing, but you know how this went. I wasn't going to eat one, 
And then my daughter offered me one, and I said, all right. You know, I was prepared to not eat one as long as there was zero temptation. And that's the way we tend to relate to temptation. Like, I'll, I'll honor God as long as, like, there's zero resistance in my way. And Paul prays that you would be strengthened in your spirit to honor God no matter what. The power to share the message. As you're strengthened with power in your inner man, you have the power to, to share this message and nothing shares or adds validity to the sharing of the message like a life that lines up with the message and nothing hinders the message like a life that contradicts it. So the Holy Spirit will give you power for your message to match your life. And then he makes this parallel statement that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that word dwell is really interesting because there's a couple of Greek words for live and this one, there's one that's like you're staying somewhere for a short time. And then the other one is like you're moved in and you're there. And the word here for Christ would dwell in your heart through faith is not the idea of Christ is checking into the Holiday Inn for a night. The word here is that Christ is moving into your heart to live there, to take up residence there. The word dwell is that Jesus, he said, I pray that Christ would dwell, take up permanent residence in your heart through faith, that he would make his home in your heart. I used to love when I was a kid watching Saturday Night Live, um, and, and, uh, and one of my favorite segments was Deep Thoughts by Jack Handy. Does anybody remember Deep Thoughts by Jack Handy? And, and, uh, and he said one time, um, if God dwells inside of us, like some people say, I hope he likes enchiladas because he's getting a lot of that. And that idea is kind of honestly a helpful idea. Is what you're putting into your heart conducive to Christ being at home there? Because Christ isn't home, isn't, isn't at home around the sin that so easily entangles us. Is what you're putting into your heart, is what we're feeding our heart conducive to Christ making his home there? Now, you know, if I, if I go, if we go stay at a hotel overnight, like we feel no compulsion to rearrange the furniture, right? Because we're just there for temporary like, if you check into a hotel and you, like, say, well, I really think the bed would look better there, you got problems and you need to get some help, okay? Nobody does that. Nobody does that, okay? If you do that, talk to somebody, okay? You're in a hotel, you just, you just, you just go in, you're not, you're not trying to change anything, you're just there. But when you move into a house, like, we've lived in several houses and we've never moved into a house and just, like, left the people, the previous owners' pictures up of their family, like, on the wall. And I went and said, well, they had the couch facing this way, so we've we got to do it. No, we've gone in and we've made that home ours. Now, I could live anywhere. You make me a little closet somewhere and it's got roaches and mice in it. I can go in there, put a cot on the floor. I'm good. Sonda is not going to call a place like that home. So wherever we've lived, she has made that home home, and she's told me the things that I need to do to make that home home, right? And so what, what the, if Jesus makes his home in your heart, there's some things that you may be okay with that he's not okay with. And, and making Jesus home in my heart doesn't mean I hang a picture of Jesus on the wall but then I just keep doing things the way I was doing them. We've got to decide if Jesus is the decorator or the decoration of our home. And the thing is, we want him to be the decoration. We'll say, well, I'm pretty much, I mean, I own this house. I'm going to hang a picture of Jesus on the wall, and I'm going to do everything the way I want to do it. That's not how it works. That's not what being a Christian is. Jesus is not the decoration of your home. He's the designer of your home. 
He's a designer of your life. And he wants to do things in you that like you can't even imagine because he's making a home fit for a king because that's who he is. And you're the temple. And it's a mind-boggling thing. Like when I was a kid, there was this whole farmhouse that our family would gather in and we, nobody lived there, but we'd gather out there, kind of have family events and, and, and get togethers. And it was owned by my, by, by my aunt and uncle, great aunt and uncle. And there was an outhouse. And that was my favorite part about the house is that like you got to go and like poop in a hole in the ground. It was awesome. And like you never knew if like a rattlesnake was going to come and get you or like wasps would be in there. But it was an adventure, you know. And, and I remember when, when my aunt and uncle said, you know, I was about, I guess, Addie's age. I was about probably 10, 11, and they, they put in an indoor plumbing in that, in, and they put in an indoor bathroom, and I was like, you know, you've ruined it. You've ruined the We called it the old house because we're creative people. I said, you've ruined the old house. I said, you, it, you had something good and pure and beautiful, and you just threw it all away because I could not grasp. I mean, I knew what indoor plumbing was, but I didn't want indoor plumbing to be there, Right? But we left the outhouse, and I could go out to the outhouse if I'd wanted to, but guess, guess who ended up using the indoor plumbing? This guy ended up thinking, you know, a, a toilet's nice, a shower is nice. And here's the thing, like, God wants to put indoor plumbing in your life, but we're attached to the outhouse because that's what we know. And there's stuff that maybe you're holding on to because you know it, and you've been there, and that's what you're used to, and it's the outhouse. But he wants to give you something better. But it's going to hurt. He's not the decoration. He's the designer of our life. He is making a home out of you that he is comfortable in. So we pray for other people. We pray, God, I I, I just pray, God, I pray that you would would strengthen, that you would strengthen Sonda in her inner woman and that you would would make your, don't look at me, that's a good thing, and that you would make your your, home, Make her heart your home and that, that, you would, that, you would, uh, that you would just do a work in her heart. And... All right, so pray that for other people. Pray that for yourself. And remember that Jesus has greater designs for you than you have for yourself. All right. The second word is, is love. First word was power. The second word is love. Can you say love? Love, love, love. Our, our world defines power as control, again, but, but God defines, the gospel defines power as love in relationship. And Paul prays in verse um, 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. Rooted and grounded in love. So that's why we ask, what's the foundation of your life? Paul's praying that the Ephesian believers and that we would have our roots and our foundation in love. But love is a word that we define and redefine all kinds of ways. And if it's, if it's not, uh, if, 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 if we're just kind of left to our own devices, what's going to end up happening is we're going to try to pervert and twist love into being kind of this oozy, touchy-feely, shapeless blob. But what gives love shape is the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That was, that's what gives love shape. It's what holds it together and keeps it from just being kind of sentimentality because what we often do is we say, I love this, and then we use that to justify our sin. But that's not love. Uh, love um, is shaped by the cross and resurrection of Jesus. And so what's the foundation of your life? Well, if the foundation of my life is the love revealed at the cross of Jesus Christ and the power revealed at the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it's going to shape the entire direction of my life.
But there's these alternative foundations that have been alternative foundations since the beginning of time. And there really aren't any new ones, but money, sex, and power are three really common alternative foundations for your life. And it's easy to say, hey, Jesus is the Lord of my life. Look, look at his picture on the wall. But then we make decisions, maybe as individuals or as church families or as even nations and societies, we make decisions based on what's the dollar say. Or maybe, uh, maybe we, we make decisions based on I gotta be in a relationship. I don't care if I gotta sell my soul to do it. I gotta be in one because I don't know what it's like to not be in one. Or maybe we make decisions rooted in what's gonna give me status, what's gonna give me influence, what's gonna give me prestige. And the way to know is just like a storm that rattles your house might expose foundation cracks that start working their ways up the wall. When the storms of life hit you, what do you run to to find your identity? Do you run to a relationship? Do you run to your bank account? Do you run to try to control someone or something? Or do you run to the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ? And Paul says, I want you to be rooted and I want you to be grounded in love. I want you to put your roots so deep in God's love for you that you return that love to God and to other people. Paul's praying that our roots would go down deep in the love of God. And until you're rooted in God's love, you can't love anyone or anything else. It ain't gonna happen. So in our society, we, we use that word love to justify all kinds of stuff. But love is given shape by the cross and resurrection of Jesus. The third word is knowledge. Can you say knowledge? Knowledge. Thank you. Power, love, knowledge. He says, I want you to know the love of Christ. Verse 18. He says, I want you to have strength to comprehend, to grasp with all the saints what's the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. So I want you to know the love of Christ, the height, the depth, the length, the breadth. Ancient Christian commentators said that height and depth and length and breadth referred to the cross. It's a picture of the cross and how high and low and far and wide God's love is able to reach. He says, I want you to comprehend what nobody can comprehend. That's how, that's the incomprehensible love of God. He says, pray for this. Pray for yourself, pray for others that you would know the love of Christ. That word know again, like we saw last week in Ephesians 1, that's this word for intimate knowledge. Paul's praying that the Ephesians would have intimate knowledge of God. They wouldn't just know a bunch of fun facts about God. They're like, hey, what's the least I need to know about God to, get to go to heaven when I die? No, he prays that they would know God intimately. If you want to pray for somebody, Pray that they would have this kind of intimate awareness of God's presence. And what will happen as you're praying for somebody else to be empowered by God's spirit, because you're not going to pray for this unless you believe that that's really what they need. As you're praying for somebody else to be empowered by God's spirit, rooted and grounded in love, that they would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, what's going to happen is you're going to find those qualities that you're praying for them begin to take root in you. It's a win-win. Is God real to you? Or would you pray that, that, that for, for, for somebody, God, would you just make yourself real to Travis? Would you, just make, would you help Travis be aware of your presence? Amen. Think about the gospel. Think about what Christ has accomplished. You know what Sweetwater needs again? We could get a billion dollars tomorrow, and that would change a lot around here, wouldn't it? But our, our, our deepest need 
is still going to be that there's people that know and love Christ. So pray for that. He says, comprehend with all the saints. The height, the breadth, the length, the depth. There's something about being in community with other people that you know God more fully as you're in community with others, and particularly as you're in community with others who may not be just exactly like you. He says you want to comprehend with all, I pray that you comprehend with all the saints. There's something about being in community that gives you a sense of who God is that you cannot arrive at on your own. You might say, well, hey, you haven't seen my life group. It's a bunch of dimwits. Awesome. That's the dimwits God has chosen to put you with. And he's chosen this community for you that you would together come to grasp the love of Christ. And then finally, the fourth word, fullness. Can you say fullness? He says, I want you to be, I pray that you would be filled with all the fullness of God. That's a, that's a crazy prayer. You know, we're all looking for that thing that's going to fill us up and make us, you know, complete and you complete me and all this stuff. He says, I pray that you would be filled with the fullness of God. And as we're filled with the fullness of God, we're going to take this one quickly. As we're filled with the fullness of God, what that means is that means we look like Jesus. We start, we start living like Jesus. We become like Jesus. And so we may get to the end of the prayer, strengthen with power and know the love of Christ and, and be rooted and grounded in love, filled with the fullness of God. And we might say, man, I'm praying for so-and-so and like, man, this person is a wreck. If, if, they, just get, if they just get to the kingdom like by their nostril hairs barely, that's going to be a big accomplishment. Or you might be saying, for me, it'd be rooted and grounded in love, filled with the fullness of God. Like, come on. And Paul addresses that in verse 20. He says, now to him who is able, stop, he's able. God is able. God is able to take somebody that's far from God. God's able to take somebody that, that would just as soon punch you in the face as pat you on the back. God's able to take that person and take up residence in their heart. So whoever your one is, whoever that person is you're praying for, and I hope you're praying for them, God is able. As you think about your own, uh, as we think about our own wandering, fickle hearts, God is able to fill you with all the fullness of God. He's able to do abundantly more then all that we can ask or think according to the power at work within us, according to that spirit at work in you. Now, when I think about God doing more than I can ask or imagine, I, because I'm probably selfish and immature, I tend to think about like money or like outcomes. Like, oh man, pray for a million dollars. God's going to give me five million dollars. And we tend to focus on results like that. But Paul's not talking about results. Paul's talking about roots. Paul's talking about the roots of your life. And if you will pray that your life will be rooted and grounded, if you pray for somebody else's life that will be rooted and grounded in love and they'll be filled with the fullness of God, God is able. And God's able to do even more than you can imagine. He's able to do that to a greater degree. Even double, triple, quadruple your wildest requests. And when you pray for other people to know God fully, to be filled with his fullness, to be strengthened by his power, to, to know his love, to be rooted and grounded in love, you can know that you're praying according to God's will. And you have access to God's power and you're living out God's love. So what does Sweetwater need? Sweetwater needs people to say with Paul from, a, from Philippians chapter 3, says, I want to know Christ. I want to know him in his death and I want to know him in the power of his resurrection. As, as we think about what it means, uh, these words of love and power, the last thing I'll say 
is that let your, let your idea of love be shaped by the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus gives power to love and makes love where it's not just some kind of limp jelly, but it's this, this powerful, transforming force. And let your idea of power be shaped by the cross of Jesus Christ. Because the cross of Jesus Christ reminds us that God's power um, is made perfect in our weakness. And God's power is about relationship, not control. Let the cross and the resurrection shape what God's love and power mean to you. So we've got four words that we can pray for ourselves and we can pray for others as the band comes up. Pray we would be strengthened with power. Pray that we would know God. Pray that we would be rooted and grounded in love. Pray that we would be filled with all the fullness of God. Pray these things knowing that God is able to do abundantly beyond whatever you ask or think or even what your wildest dreams